Hi, I'm Sien Xiao. And I'm Sammy Winemaker. We talk to people who have information and tips on how to unlock a better illness experience. The waiting room revolution starts right now. Welcome to our spring series, where we feature intimate conversations taken from our In the Waiting Room with live events. This episode, we feature Donna Thompson. Our guest today is Donna Thompson. She's a caregiver, an author, an advocate. And today we are co-hosting the session with McMaster's Institute of Research on Aging, MIRA, and also McMaster Center for Continuing Education. So thanks so much for joining us today, Donna. Oh, thank you so much for having me. For those of you who don't know her, your caregiving journey began when your son was born with cerebral palsy, and you also cared for your mother who had dementia and, and died at the age of 96 a, a couple of years ago. And I know you've written books on the topic of being a caregiver. The most recent one is The Unexpected Journey of Caregiving. And I know you're very active on social media about this. And so I'm just curious, like, why are you so passionate about raising awareness about caregiving and caregivers? Well, I think in my own case, uh, I, w- I am one of those people who I would say was born under a caregiving star. I don't think anyone chooses to be a caregiver. Um, but, you know, when I was 17, my father had the first of three strokes. Then in 1988, our son Nicholas was born with very severe uh, cerebral palsy and he is medically complex, received a palliative diagnosis in 2014, but managed to survive so many near-death experiences to date and he's still with us, I'm very happy to say. Um, and he has 24-hour one-to-one nursing care now in a nearby care home. Um, and then my mom, when she started aging, my sister and I helped to look after her. Uh, and she was a handful, <laughs> very willful, um, very funny, wonderful um, person, but uh, hard to care for because she didn't think she needed any help. So. Um, so when we essentially, when we got help, a significant amount of help at home for our son, Nicholas, I, I paused in my caring and I asked myself, and I could not get this question out of my head. I asked myself, what is the meaning of my life? All I have done is look after people I love in my adult life and I, everyone around me is, is in the midst of a career and my career has been so private. I, and I don't even understand it myself. There is no graduation ceremony. There are no others around you to validate your role and tell you that what you're doing is important. It was an extremely lonely experience, very isolated and very intense. It's so intense because the person or the people you're looking after are on the, feels like they're on the edge of crisis all the time. So I was almost living these Greek comedy, Greek tragedy, you know, proportions of an emotional life. And yet nobody was watching. And to, to, um, 
quote Silvia Federici, who is a, um, a, a feminist and writer about care. Uh, she said, you know, the work we do as caregivers, day in and day out, the same tasks over and over again, that seem to erase themselves once we've done them. Mm. And I felt like I was erased. Um, so I really began to read a lot about moral philosophy and all of these bioethics and try to understand who am I and what did I just do for 32 years? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I know you're a fan of our podcast. and Oh, I'm yes. I'm so I'm really excited to know what are some of your thoughts. We've had, you know, our first six episodes come out starting all the way from our origin story and walk two roads. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear some of your reflections on maybe some of the keys that we've talked about that maybe resonate or don't with your experiences. Oh, I, everything resonate re resonated so deeply. I can't I binge list, listened to to all of the the, the episodes. And I kept nodding my head and saying, yes, 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 yes. Um, zooming out, take for example, uh, this idea that uh, it is absolutely essential to be able to step back and have a longer view in order to, well, to to breathe, calm down, and and all of that, of course, but but also, um, you know, I think of I think of this this phrase that your your perspective is dependent on everything you see, and if you don't zoom out, you will be uh, you don't really have any hope of a sense of control over the day or the week or the month to come in an illness journey. So that zooming out, I think, is very important. Um, you know, two-eyed seeing, or I forget the, 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 the word. Walk two roads, yeah. Walk Walking two roads. Two roads yeah. Yes, it's indigenous. It's an indigenous um, phrase that, that they talk about two-eyed seeing. And I actually blogged about that a few years ago about thinking, oh my gosh, that's what we do as caregivers. I've got one eye over here on the person I love and another eye over here trying to figure out the landscape. Where do I go next? So walking two roads, hope and despair, um, hope and realism. Um, uh, you know, do I live in the moment? I, I'm living in the moment, but I've got an eye on the future. All of these duality uh, dualities that we 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 cannot limit ourselves to one way of looking and one way of thinking that is going to limit our perspective on uh, how we need to cope. Uh, mm -hmm. It does take that those two roads. It takes zooming out. Um, so those were certainly ideas that resonated with me and and the other idea that interested me so much um, is this idea that as caregivers, if we're not having the conversation with our healthcare providers that we want and that we need, we need to take responsibility to change that conversation. 
and ask the pointed questions that you and Sammy give us. You give us the language. What is, uh, what is the likely progression of the disease? What am I, what are the phases and where am I now? What am I likely to be facing in a practical sense in the next three months? These kinds of questions that can give you a bit of a roadmap um, for your life. We can ask these questions and, you know, in turning over these ideas and putting them together with my own healthcare experiences of good conversations with medical professionals and bad conversations. Um, and I, when I say bad conversations, I don't mean that there was any malice on anyone's part. But I think in our case, there was a huge misunderstanding, a huge misalignment of understanding of what is the problem, what are we going to do about it, and what is the likely outcome. And I, I, I must have in my moments of grief or in my um, rigid, in, in the way that I was hearing the information being presented to me, I understood one thing, but what they meant was something entirely different. Yeah. And yeah. how does one get over that? Um, I'm very interested in these check-ins. Is this what you understand to be true? And if we had had those check-ins, um, I might have been able to say, well, but I wouldn't have chosen this treatment then. And a lot of people that I know who understood um, now I'm speaking particularly about treatment choices. Here is a big surgery that you could do, you know, mm -hmm. and it's what we recommend, but it's big and here are the risks, but I didn't even pay attention to the risks yes. because I'm looking at the positive outcome. Totally. And I might've asked some more questions about the risk or what are we going to do if that risk factor happens which it always did in yeah. in our son's case yeah yeah we hear um, i often hear I from patients yeah. yeah i hear from patients uh, patients tell me like for chemotherapy like they don't even talk about the risk until they're about to inject the needle in your arm and then they're like oh and these could be the side effects and be like what do you mean you know it's it is this idea of of it is it is an informed consent of course like the the bigger idea and i know it's not done with any malice but it is this idea of just understanding what are the choices and custom we talk about this idea of customizing your order um of of what uh yes. you know what are what are your choices and does that fit with what's important to you and what are you what are the trade-offs there are trade-offs in everything um do you feel like a lot of the things that we talked about also you know we focus on serious illness but it, you know you you have a a situation where you've been sort of a lifelong caregiver to to a child who's now an adult with a with you know severe medical complexity so was it it was it translatable or or um oh, you know what yes, absolutely oh yeah because yeah. i think you know it, the question is are you going to go through these situations, these uh, very 
dramatic, you know, life-changing situations only once, or are you going to go through them again and again over a period of years? Simply, you, you know, the, these, these, these issues that you bring up in this series, I think are very, very relevant to whether people go through these things once or many times. Yeah. It's still very traumatic. I want to, if it's okay, I want to shift because I want to make sure there's, because there's something else we have in common too. We have a connection with McMaster. You're connected yeah. to the university and you instruct and facilitate two courses. Uh, one is called Caregiving Essentials and another about uh, family engagement and research, uh, particularly the one called Caregiving Essentials. If caregivers take these courses, what are they, what are they, what could they learn from it? And why is it so important that they take it? Well, you know, first of all, I feel so strongly that caregivers, you know, we learn on the go and we learn many, many, many skills and resources and we're extremely creative problem solvers. However, if there is a way that um, people could get a shortcut in learning how to do the project management of caregiving, because at the end of the day, many of the challenges are simply project management challenges. How do you organize medication? How do you um, uh, deal with multiple medical professionals at once who may not be speaking with each other, which is an issue that you bring up in the series? How do you manage communications um, while keeping privacy uh, intact? How do you manage uh, communication so that everyone who needs to know knows in the circle of care? And how do you simply manage your emotions throughout all of this. So many of these caregiving challenges are presented in the course Caregiving Essentials. It's really like a Caregiving 101 course. Here are some things that you really need to know in order to make your path a bit easier. And there is a podcast series that goes along with it. And there is um, a discussion board uh, where people have an opportunity to reflect and share as well. So um, I think it's, it's very helpful for people who are beginning to uh, reflect on the meaning of their caring lives or they're in at the beginning and they're saying, oh gosh, uh, my mother just broke her hip and they're telling me that it's going to go downhill from here. And I really, don't know what I'm doing. Um, the course can be very helpful. Fantastic. And even though you're so busy, you've actually worked and collaborated on to create another course. I think it's called, it's for caregivers and it's about infection prevention and control also available at McMaster Center for Educa uh, Continuing Education. So can you tell me more about maybe wh why did you create the course? And, and again, what, uh, what will the people learn when they take it? Well, you know, I was having many conversations with Dr. Lorraine Carter, who is the executive director of McMaster Continuing Education. And we were having, you know, conversations about what can, what is the role of a university um, in terms of social responsibility and what I would call the democratization of learning and how can we help with training caregivers to, um, and, and particularly in the context of a pandemic, 
where mm. so much is expected of us in terms of safe delivery of, of care at home with very vulnerable people um, who are at high risk of, of dying if they get COVID. And I began to look and see whether or not there were any existing training programs for infection control, what we call IPAC. And um, the only ones available that I could find were for health professionals. And I, that really upset me. I thought, here we are delivering, what is it, 90% of care in Canada uh, to people with very serious healthcare concerns. And we're not given the tools to know what we're doing. But if something goes wrong, who's going to be blamed? You know? So I thought, we're going to do this. And Lorraine, we're going to do this. And we did. We got the um, part partnerships uh, of the Ontario Caregiver Organization and the um, Canadian Foundation for Healthcare Improvement as well. So, and Fantastic. we're translating yeah. it into French and we've applied for funding to translate it to different languages too. That's wonderful. And how long is the course? Like people can go onto the website, sign up, and is it is it a, mm -hmm. how long is the course is it? It's about five hours. And if you complete all of the quizzes, you can print uh, a certificate at the end. So it's it's like a self-taught, right? It isn't yes. it, like it's not a discussion. That's amazing. No, I think it's so important when we think of the, uh, well, we're going to be asked more and more to do this. And even if there are vaccines for COVID, this idea of prevention and and, and uh, you know, not sh sharing, you know, spreading disease is going to be so paramount, you know, in long-term care, but in, even in the community. So um, I'm glad you found this niche. We're, we're yeah, in our last, but, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, but I also think it also speaks to this issue that knowledge and skills are not only the domain of medical professionals. Yes, you know? yes. And that, and that is a beautiful link because I wanted to kind of leave the last you know, question, uh, you know, to kind of leave it up to, you know, where you wanted to go. But it, I mean, the whole point of our podcast, a lot of the ideas were inspired from some of the education that we've been doing for clinical providers um, uh, for years about how do we introduce palliative care? How do we talk? And we realized these skills could also be taught to patients and families and they deserve the information. And by golly, if more of them ask for this, uh, or, or want to be involved and invite themselves to the conversation, it is going to be harder and harder for, for this information to be hidden or, or to be mm -hmm. not so obvious because it will be so commonplace, like a seventh vital sign maybe of, hey, uh, do I understand my, my, illness, under, my, uh, my, uh, my illness trajectory and that kind of thing. So it is about just normalizing it and making it more common. But I wanted to you know, leave uh, the last uh, time for you was there like I guess what have you learned from your experience for caregiving or what advice do you have for people who are who are starting the journey and and who maybe feel a little bit like they're overwhelmed like this is a big thing like why would they want to take this on hmm. well I think asking yourself those questions of why would I want to take this on uh, that's very normal and natural I think that walking towards suffering instead of away from it uh, in today's world is not normalized. It's not talked about. It's, we know that people are afraid to discuss mortality or suffering. And I think that developing a vocabulary to discuss it 
is, like you said, almost another vital sign. It having a sense of care literacy um, from a very young age is and enables us to manage these life challenges, which are part of everybody's life. Yeah. It's like Rosalind Carter said, if you're not a caregiver now, you will be. Yeah. And then if you're, you know, after that, you will receive care. Yeah. So we have to figure out how to do this and not by trying. Um, so I would say that caregiving is best done as a team, a well-functioning team with shared understanding. I think many of us begin caregiving by thinking that if we invite people to help us be on our team, it's like declaring a failure of love and loyalty to our person. And that just is so wrong. We need yeah. to really change that yeah. uh, value and that perspective in order to make caring better, easier. It shouldn't be so hard. Yeah. It shouldn't I be so hard. Donna, it's so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. It's absolutely my pleasure, Sien. I, I really love your series and I will promote it uh, with great passion everywhere I go. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and help us get the word out. Our theme music is Maypole by Ketza. The podcast is edited and produced by me, Sien Xiao, and Kayla McMillan. Special thanks to Krista Honstra, Principal of Clarity Hub. Please go to our website to join in the conversation, waitingroomrevolution.com.